0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We started two weeks ago um, a study in the book of Acts, and I made a promise to you I'm going to preach every single verse from the book of Acts There's 1,007 verses in the book of Acts. In two weeks, we got through 14, so we got a ways to go. But uh, I'm going to do my best. So if you have your Bibles or devices, you can look at the screens. Every note that's in front of me is going to be on the screen in front of me, in front of you. Uh, If you remember week one, I told you that um, Luke, the great physician, wrote the book, of uh, Acts, He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke to a man named Theopolis. We call him Theo. He also wrote the Book of Acts to Theopolis. And so the Book of Acts is simply a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. And in the Book of Luke, Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach. In Acts, he's going to tell us what Jesus continues to do and teach through his church. That's why it's called Acts. We, we have action to do. And um, he's going to give the disciples a final play to run. If you remember the kind of the thesis, the foundational statement in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And it says this, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto both me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Acts one is all about the work And then last week I heard Pastor Eugene did a phenomenal job in my absence last week. And uh, he talked to you about Acts 1.14 that says you have to wait. And so how many know we got to do the work? But before the church could do the work, they have to wait. And it's the promise that God gave them that they're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that all of these disciples and many others were in a room and they were waiting. They were patiently waiting for the Holy Spirit spirit and it says that they were devoted to prayer. They became so busy with prayer that they had no attention to give to anything else. Can you imagine for a moment if we got so caught up in prayer that we became so busy in prayer that we gave no attention to anything else? Can you imagine what would happen if we laid aside all of our purposes and all of our plans and said, God, we're just going to wait until you do something. That's what's happening in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And that's what's happening, and that's where we want to pick up our story. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can look at the screen. I'm going to read you 11 verses today. Acts chapter 1, verse 15 through 26. And it says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in the ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all of his intestines spilled out. A little graphic. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Akedama. That is, the field of blood. For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have, who have been with us for the whole time with the Lord Jesus and who was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, uh, jo- uh, Joseph, uh, called uh, Barsabas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. I want to go back and I want to key in on verse 16 and then we're going to jump in and I'm going to teach. This is what Peter said. Brothers, scriptures, uh, brothers and sisters, verse 16, the scripture had to be Fulfilled. That's what it says. The scripture had to be fulfilled. I, I just simply want to entitle this morning. It had to happen. It had to happen. Let's pray, Father. We thank you today for the reading of your word, God. We know that it's your word and your word alone that changes the hearts of men. And so, God, as we read these words today, God, these aren't my words. They're not my thoughts. They're not my ideas. They're your words. They're your thoughts. They're yours. Your ideas. So, God, I pray you today, you God, you. You, you, you guide me, God, as, as I speak your word. Hide me behind your cross. And, Lord, by the end of this day, may we never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. It had to happen. Say it with me. It had to happen. Thank you. Pop quiz. I told you the answer five minutes ago. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. What was Luke's profession? He was a physician. He was a doctor. Now, because of Luke's education and refinement... He writes both Luke and Acts in a very sophisticated style of the Greek languages. So understanding that, you understand that Luke doesn't just throw a bunch of information together. As a good doctor, he's going to organize the materials in a very careful manner. So as we read these words today, understand that nothing is incidental, nothing is accidental. It's all written by Luke, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. As we look at the first details that Luke gives us about this upper room experience, I want to answer four questions today about our text. Write this first one down as we look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. The first question I want to ask today is who's speaking? In, in this first segment of the book of Acts, the first person who speaks up, I just read it to you, is Peter. I, I, I love this. this. This is the guy who 43 days prior to him speaking up, was the guy who publicly denies Jesus three times. He, he denies Jesus openly on the first time. The second time, he denies him with an oath. The third time, he, he curses. I don't know the blankety-blank man. This, this, this is the guy who publicly denied Jesus three times. Watch this. The same voice that denied him three times was the first voice that's recorded speaking in the upper room. The same voice that denied him three times is the first voice that is recorded Preaching in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and 3,000 are saved. The same voice that denied him three times, the same voice in Acts chapter 3 that tells the the lame beggar at the gate called beautiful, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have, I ask you to get up in the name of Jesus and walk. This is the same guy who, gets, who, who, who denies Jesus three times. This, I don't know the guy because of fear, has so much boldness in chapter 4 that he says, you can't shut me up. You're going to have to throw me in jail. And they actually do for preaching the resurrection of Christ. This is the same guy who was so fearful to say the name of Jesus and that he even knew Jesus. In chapter 5, the Bible says he has so much of the spirit of Jesus living on the inside of him that as he walked by people with sicknesses, he shadow healed them. The same guy. In fact, if you look at the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, it's all about the ministry of Peter. And it all starts with this verse, verse 15. In those days, Peter, it says he stood up. Do you see the boldness in that declaration of him standing up? Do you see the audacity that the first words recorded? Somebody had to stand up. Somebody had to say, this is what we're going to do. And I love it because even with all of his shortcomings and imperfections and failures, Peter is the first one to stand up. Everybody say stand up. up. God is always looking for men and women who will take a stand no matter what. To be on the side of righteousness. To, to be on the side of holiness, to be on the side of, of godliness no matter what, to, to stand on biblical truth no matter if they cancel you or not. Never to compromise God's truth, to, to stand on his word, to be unapologetically unashamed of who you are in him no matter what. That, that's what God wants from us. In fact, in Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter two, Paul tells a Timothy to be An unashamed workman who stands on the word of truth. The next chapter, chapter 3, he tells him why. He says, because difficult times are going to come. And when those times come, if you're not standing on the truth, you're going to fall for anything. We are seeing this unravel in our nation right now. We're seeing it in culture right now. And here's how 2 Timothy chapter three starts. After Jesus tells a young Timothy to be unashamed, a worker unashamed, in 2 Timothy chapter three, verse one, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days, I think we're here now, people will be lovers of themselves, they'll say, "Uh uh-huh. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, not your kids, that's your neighbor's kids, ungrateful, Unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control. We, we're living in a world without self control. You know, the Bible says in the last days, people will find new ways to sin. Not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sound familiar? Watch this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Thereof have nothing to do with these people. So chapter one, Timothy stand for truth. Chapter two, because everyone is going to bow to other things. And then chapter four, or that's chapter three. Chapter four, he gives them the charge. He says this, chapter four, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. And this is really the same charge I want to give to you, OSC. Here's the charge for what to do when things get nasty. Here it is. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. You cannot accurately and effectively do any of these if you don't know the word of God. That's that's why we want to take you through the entire book of Acts. We want to teach you the word of God. Why? Because for the time will come, and I believe the time is here now, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, hello, and said to suit their own desires, they were a gatherer, around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, that's you, OSC, me, watch this. Keep your head. Keep your head. That's hard. That's why when political issues arise and race issues arise, And issues of sexuality arise, there's only one side that I'm on. And that's on the side of the Word of God. You have to keep your head in some situation. There's a whole lot of people in this last year that lost their head. How many understand what I'm saying? They think they're passionate, they're not passionate, they're emotional. People have lost their head. Why? Because they've gotten away from the word of God and they've sided with political parties and agendas and their flesh and what felt right. He says, you got to keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So we have to stand on the word of God. So who was the first one to stand? His name was. Second question is, who was he speaking to? Peter is in the upper room. Peter's the first one to speak. Now you have to understand there's more than just the apostles, the original apostles there and their family members. Go now to verse 16 and it says this In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Why 120? Why is this detail in there? Remember, Luke is going to write. He's going to manage this text very, very well. He is a doctor. If it's in there, it's not accidental or incidental. The Holy Spirit put it in his heart. Why 120? Because Jewish law requires that for a new community to be established, 120 people had to be present. From the very beginning, the church was always about community. It has always been about community. It will always be about community. We're going to dissect this a whole lot more when we get to chapter 2. So, God values community. He wants us to value community. So Peter speaks up. He speaks to the community, the 120. The third question is, what does he speak? I'm going to read you what he spoke. It's basically Acts chapter 1. I read you in my text. Here's what happens. Uh, They they, they get to this place where there was originally how many disciples? Twelve. Thank you. One of them doesn't make the journey. His name is Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, so there was originally 12 Now all of a sudden, one is missing. So how many is that now? That is 11. Thank you, Como High School math has helped me immensely. So Peter stands up and he says, hey guys, we got to talk about something. He said, there used to be 12 disciples. Now there's 11. The first order of business is the book of Psalms says that we need to replace them. So let's nominate a couple of guys from the 120 that are here who's been with Jesus from the beginning, who wasn't a disciple, but who's been along the journey, let's nominate one of those guys. So what they're going to do, they're going to do this thing called casting lots. What they would do is they would pick a couple of guys like, okay, this guy's good and this guy's good, but how do we know which one God wants? And so they called it casting lots. They would take a stone. On that stone, they would write the guy's name. And so they're going to write two guys' names. We know one of the names is, is, is Matthias. We know that the the, the, the other guy, they called him Justice. So they're going to write Justice on one. They're going to write Matthias on the other. They're going to write their name on a stone. They're going to put these stones in a jug. They're going to shake up the jug like you roll Yahtzee dice. And the first stone that rolls out, whatever the name is on the stone, that's who they believe that the Lord has picked. This wasn't a game of chance. They believe this was God's sovereignty. Everybody say sovereignty. They, Proverbs says that the, the lot is cast in the lap but it's the Lord that makes the decision. So so they believe, according to God's sovereignty, whoever's name comes out of the jug is going to be the new disciple. So here's here's so here's where we are. Peter speaks it. He speaks it to the community. He speaks about Judas and Judas being replaced. And here is my question, and here's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. Why did he speak it? Why in the world would the first thing that is recorded in the book of Acts of someone standing up and speaking when God's going to give us the blueprints of how his church should operate and how the spirit's going to come? The first words recorded by man is about Judas. Why, did he, why is this passage about Judas even here? This is the crazy part. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. If you go to Acts 1, 1 through 14, the very beginning of Acts, it's all about the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. That is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You get to Acts chapter 2, it's the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. So watch this. Acts 1, 1 through 14 is the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of that promise at Pentecost. And between those two segments of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is 11 verses sandwiched in there about Judas. Judas. Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus. And I ask this question. Why are there 11 verses about Judas between two outpourings of the Holy Spirit? Why all this concern about how Judas died and the blood money and the field and who's going to replace him? Why all, why all of this? And, if, and if, you, if you basically look at the structure of these first 40 or 50 verses of the book of Acts, here's the way it looks if you're just looking at the natural. Holy Spirit, Judas, Holy Spirit. Y'all remember Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. Holy Spirit, Judas, Holy Spirit. Y'all, one of these things ain't like the other. Say it to me one more time. Holy Spirit, Judas, Holy Spirit. How does this even make sense? Why is this even in here? Why sandwich these 11 verses in here? Why even bring up the guy who betrayed Jesus? Why even bring up Judas? Why is the first voice that speaks up, the first topic of discussion in the first church, in the first gathering? This is a new community. Hey, we're establishing a new community. Let's talk about Judas. Why? What does God want us to see? Y'all remember the title of today? It had to happen. Go back with me to verse 16. Let's see if we can unpack this. I got 26 minutes to do it, and you can go to lunch. Here it is, verse 16. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. So I ask, what scripture had to be fulfilled? Well, Peter tells us in verse 20. He says, it is written in the book of Psalms. Here it is. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Peter actually gives us two different quotes from the book of Psalms. And in the first half of verse 20, it's a quote from Psalm 69, verse 25. It says this, may his place be deserted. Let no one dwell in it. That scripture was fulfilled when Judas bought a field with blood money for selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And he later died in that field. He was deserted in that field. It became a desolate field of blood. That's what verse 17 through 19 tells us. The second half of verse 20 is a direct quote from Psalm Uh, 109 verse 8, speaking of Judas, because Judas is no longer, it says this in, in Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership. And then we see that that was fulfilled in the way that Judas was replaced by Matthias, by them casting lots. So what am I trying to say? Just listen to me. Luke writes it, Peter preaches it, but God inspired it. Why? Why is this sandwiched in here? Because it had To happen. Verse 16. The scripture had to be fulfilled by which the Holy Spirit spoke. Peter said we have to do this. It has to be this way. My question is why does it have to be this way? Isn't life full of contingencies? Isn't the future open-ended? Aren't people, don't they have a free will? Don't people, can't they make life of whatever they want it to be and God just has to adjust his plans? How can Peter says it has to be? How can Peter say it has to happen? Listen to me. Either Peter is wrong or God is sovereign. Either Peter is wrong or God is sovereign. Sovereign. It's the latter, not the former. Say this with me. God is sovereign. God is the ultimate ruler and the final authority. God has a plan, and in order for his plan to come to fruition, certain things have to happen. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that God has a plan for your life? Come on, God has got a plan. You're not an accident. He has a plan for your life. Now here's my question. If God wants to illustrate his sovereignty and the invincible purpose of the Holy Spirit, why in the world would he use the death of Judas? Why, why remind us that Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Why, why, why remind us that he threw the money back in the temple and the priest used the money to buy a field and that was probably the field that he died in. And why, why, why remind us of the ugly, brutal, tragic story of betrayal? Listen, if I'm God and I want my people to know that I'm sovereign and I want them to understand the invincible power and purpose of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to pick a different example besides Judas. But here's why I think it's here for us to read in these 11 verses. It's easy to trust God's sovereignty and purpose when everything is good. It's easy to believe that God is in control when there is no Judas. But what about when all hell breaks loose? What about when it looks like Satan is having his way? Have you ever been through seasons when you know the scripture that says God is in control, you're just having a hard time making sense of that in your own life. Am I the only one who ever asked the question, God, what in the heck are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Why are we seeing this? Why are we experiencing this? What is going on? What is happening in our nation? What is happening in our community? How did you allow this to happen? Why isn't God moving at my pace? Am I the only one? Okay, why? One answer, because he's sovereign. And there are some things that God does that you will never understand. God was here long before you, boo. And he's going to be here long after you. And God sees things that you don't see. And God does things that you don't understand. And he does it for one reason and one reason only. Because he's sovereign. Peter says in verse 16, this had to happen. Scripture had to happen. And in order for this to happen, God had to use a man named Judas, who was possessed by Satan, to fulfill his plan. Listen to me. In your life, All things happen either because God made it happen or because God gave it permission to happen. Try that one on when you get laid off. See how that fits when mom gets cancer. The sovereignty of God is not thwarted by your own individual experience. Everything that's good that happens in your life is either because God made it happen or because He gave it permission to happen. Everything that's not good in your life is either because God made it happen or He gave it permission to happen. Why? Look what Job 23 says. But He is unique, speaking of God. And who can make Him turn? Watch this. Whatever His soul desires, He does. He's just going to do what he's going to do because he knows the outcome. He knows the end. And whatever it takes for you to get there, he's going to do. Watch this, Psalm Psalm 115.3. Our God is in heaven. By the way, you ain't. And he does whatever pleases him. Y'all, God's not in heaven scratching his head. He's not in heaven popping Prozac, trying to figure out what to do next. He didn't say, oops, I didn't see that one coming. Nothing catches him off guard. He is sovereign no matter how you see it. He's in control no matter how you see it. He has a plan no matter how you see it. And many times his plans are uncomfortable. It was about eight years ago. I was uh, on our little back patio. I was, I was uh, studying. We had Wednesday night Bible study and so I was, Getting some notes done. The kids were playing in the backyard. My kids are now twelve and ten. At the time, they were like four and two. And uh, so I'm kind of in my own little world. Uh, Rachel's inside, and um, I, I hear this like blood curling scream in the yard. How many know as parents? Not all screams are created equal. <laughs> if you're if you're a parent, there's about ninety seven percent of screams you ignore. Because most of them have to do with, you know, somebody wanted to watch a different TV show, or they broke my toy, or took my cookie, whatever it is. But, but when, but every once in a while, there's a scream that you just knows different. You know what I'm saying? This was one of those screams. I, I knew it was different because you heard the scream, but there was like no sound coming out with it at the same time. It was like, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? And then at the same time, it's my little girl Savannah. She's two at the time. I hear my son, who never apologizes, saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then, and then Rachel runs out of the house and she sees what's going on. She's like, weren't you watching the kids? I'm like, yes, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> and um, what happened was, what had happened was, uh, Tucker was swinging a golf club. And uh, he swung this thing as hard as he could. And when he, when he, when he came down, on his backswing, Savannah took a seven iron right above her cheekbone and it like ripped her cheek open. And so here's my baby, two years old, like cheek hanging off. I don't do blood. I don't do blood. I don't do snakes. I don't do cats. Everything else I'm good with. All of those are from hell. (laughs) A bloody snake with a cat would be awful. And so we, we, we take her to the, the hospital. and I, I, I don't do well when my kids suffer. And so they're going like to have to put all these stitches in her cheek and piece her back together. And the nurse looks at me and she says, Dad, you're going to have to hold her down. Rachel, can you do it, please? She's like, be a man. (laughs) And and so I am holding this two-year-old girl down, Tim. I mean, holding her down. And I'm feeling every ounce of muscle and fiber of strength inside of her resist me. And the whole time, she's not even focused on the nurse. She's looking at me, and these tears are coming down her face, and she's looking at me like... What are you doing? Why why are you holding me down, Dad? You're supposed to be helping me. She's looking at me like, why are you allowing this to happen? You're the one that's supposed to protect me. And what she didn't realize is, as her father, I was allowing her present pain and discomfort so she can experience a future healing. Why? Why? Because I knew something as the father that she didn't know. God's sovereignty suggests that he knows something that you don't know. I want you you to see the magnitude of God's sovereignty. Why does Luke include the story of Judas betraying Jesus? I think it's because Satan thought he won. Listen to me. In some of your lives right now, Satan thinks he's won. Here's a step further. In some of your lives right now, you think Satan has won. But if there's one truth we can draw from this text, it's this. That even Satan himself couldn't undermine and escape the all-encompassing sovereignty of God's purpose. It had to happen. There are some things in your life that just have to happen. There's some experiences that you just have to go through. I'm not talking about all the good things. I'm not talking about when you get the parking spot. I'm talking about when all hell breaks loose because of God's sovereignty. He allows you to go through something because you don't see the other side and He does. It has to happen. And that's important for us to remember because when you're going through life and you have all these things planned out, there's going to be seasons when you face that are Judas seasons. Have you ever experienced a Judas season? Just a nasty season a season of hurt and betrayal and death and confusion. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why am I facing this? I love you, Jesus. He's like, I love you too. That's why you're going through it. Why why are we dealing with this? And the answer is simple. It's God's sovereignty. Why? Because listen to me. He saw it best fit for things to unfold the way they did to accomplish his plans that he predestined before time in your life. I will say it again. He saw it best fit for things to unfold the way that they did to accomplish his plans that he has predestined before time. And that is the congruent theme throughout the New Testament, especially the book of Acts. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 27. This is crazy. Here's what it says. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. Watch this. Whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Y'all, Herod is the dude who tried to kill baby Jesus. Pilate is the joker, the Roman governor, who handed Jesus over to be crucified. Yet both these jokers were anointed along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, watch this, verse 28, to do whatever God's hand and purpose predestined to occur. So both Herod and Pilate's actions were orchestrated by the hand of God to accomplish the purpose that he predestined to occur. It had to happen. It has to happen. Here's my question. What in our lives... Has to happen for God to accomplish his will. What plans does God need to disrupt? Somebody told me recently said, Man, I'm I'm making so many godly plans, God ain't gonna ever disrupt my plans. That's how I said, Ha 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 ha. What? Yeah, let me read you Psalm 33. The Lord nullifies the plans of nations. He cancels the plans of nations. And you ain't no nation. (laughs) He frustrates the plans of people. Sheesh. Have you ever had plans frustrated? Christopher, help me out. I just want to get vulnerable for a moment. The summer of 2018, it was three years ago. I wasn't even in Opelousas. I was pastoring our Midtown campus in Lafayette, senior pastor. The church had grown significantly. We planted that church in 2015. And in two years, we'd grown over 2,000 people. I was preaching four times every Sunday. But I was sensing that something wasn't right. In late August of 2018, I was leading a staff meeting with Pastor Myron. And in the middle of the staff meeting, I feel this paralyzed feeling come over me. I'm in the middle of talking. And I look at Pastor Martin and I take over. And I made it downstairs. I go to the office. And I just get in the fetal position. And I just start to cry. I have no idea what's happening to me. I I can't talk. I'm consumed with, with fear. Two hours, I, I laid on the floor. I couldn't even pick up my phone to call my wife. Finally, I called her and said, something's wrong with me. find out later it was gonna be the first of many panic attacks that I start to have. It started getting worse and worse and worse and I starting just distancing myself. I didn't, I didn't want to come to church. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to talk to God. I definitely didn't want to preach. I'm, I'm still the pastor of the church this time. And I'm trying to do the best I can to, to, to guard it and not let anybody know. And then, and then one day I go to pick up my son at football practice. And he gets in my car and just looks at me. He's nine years old at the time. He said, Dad, can I ask you a question? like, yeah, son, whatever. Sure. He says, why are you always so sad? That's how my son sees me. I remember just driving home, looking out the window. I couldn't even look at him because I was so ashamed. This feeling of depression started taking over me. For the first time in my life, I started having suicidal thoughts. I'm driving my truck down the road one day. I see a tree. Just hit it, hit it. Hit the gas and hit the tree. End it now, end it now. And the only reason I didn't hit the tree i talk about God's sovereignty. I was in a rental. <laughs> True story. And I knew the dealer that owned the, the dealership that gave me the rental. And I was like, I can't ruin his truck. I can't do that to him. I was about to end my own life, but I couldn't ruin the truck. And I called my wife and I said, something's, something's wrong. And I go to the doctor and um, they do a, a depression test. He asks you all these questions, you know, and it's like, can you sleep at night? No. Do you sleep during the day? Yes. Do you want to hurt yourself? Yes. Just all these questions. So he gets the result and he goes, man, anything above four we're going to treat for depression. It's like, great. What's my score? He is 23. I ended up taking five months off of ministry and I left the assignment from pastoring the Midtown campus to get the help that my soul needed. Listen to me, it was the worst season of my life. It was an entire year of my life that it was hell. It was hell. I would never wish a season like that on anyone. I never want to go through a season like that again, but listen to me, but I wouldn't trade it away either. Why? Because without that season, I would never be in Opelousas. Listen to me. It had to happen. And I'm telling you all this today because some of you are in the middle of a season that isn't ideal and you've experienced loss and frustration and things don't make sense, listen to me. Don't ever lose this thought. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Can I just encourage you for these last two minutes? Okay, listen to me. If you sum up the first two chapters of the book of Acts, I already said it to you. It's like this. Acts chapter one, verses one through 14, Holy Spirit. Acts one, 15 through 26, Judas. Acts chapter two, Holy Spirit. So if, if, we, if we do it like this, Holy Spirit, Judas, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Judas, Holy Spirit. So we can break it down like this. We're going to put it on the screen. Beginning, Holy Spirit. Middle, messy. End, Holy Spirit. Can I give you a new way to look at it? How many of you would say that you're in a messy season right now? There's something, there's just some things that just don't make sense. And you're questioning God, why, 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 why? And you're looking at it this way, okay, yes, there was a time in my life where I saw the Holy Spirit, and yes, I'm believing there's a time that's coming where I'm gonna see the Holy Spirit again, but right now, all I see is the mess. Is there anybody that you're just stuck in the mess? It gets messy in the middle, y'all. See, when you don't understand the sovereignty of God, you're left believing that God's in the good season, and God's in the next season, but God's not in the messy season. And that's not the way that God wants to look at it. When you understand sovereignty, you don't see it as Holy Spirit mess. Holy Spirit. When you understand that God is sovereign and in control you will start to comprehend that He's not just the beginning and the end. He's not just the Alpha and the Omega. He's not just the A and the Z but He's the elemental P. He's everything in the middle and so when you see it from God's perspective it's not God, Holy Spirit mess, middle. It's Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. He was with you before. He's with you in the middle. He's going to be with you in the end too. The Holy Spirit is all up in your mess but you you just have to see it. It had to happen. God works all things for good. He uses all things. My question today as I close is, can you trust Him? Can you trust Him? Even though you don't understand it, the Holy Spirit is in the middle. Some of you are facing in Acts 1, 15 through 26 season right now. The Holy Spirit is in the middle of it. It had to happen. If you're struggling with trust today, I always want to pray for you. If you would just be so bold as Peter stood up, just to say, you know what? I'm struggling right now. I want to pray for you right where you are. If that's you today and you're in the middle of that season and you just don't feel the presence of God, if that's you, would you just so boldly stand up right where you are today? I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Yes, all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know where you're at. The Holy Spirit is in this season too. Father, for everyone standing right now, God, for even those that are too scared to stand, too fearful to stand, God, I thank you right now that you're just not the Alpha and the Omega. You're not just the beginning and the end, but you're the God of the mess too. And God, there's things that you see fit that have to happen. God, in this season, God, we understand that we're not in control. And we trust your sovereignty. And we trust your plan. Lord, we just submit to you. You are the Lord of our life. You are the ultimate authority. And we just render ourselves to you. Holy Spirit. I pray even now, God, that you come and comfort us in the middle of trials and storms and uncertainty. We ask you to have your way in Jesus' name. And if you receive that, would you say amen with me one last time?